Hey, with the filmmaker uh, Amanda Kowalski, uh, uh, her film is The Lions. That's a feature film that played at the Science and Nature Film Festival. You got the Arctic, the Arctic winter, a scientist in the Italian Navy, and you put those all together, and you got yourself a fantastic uh, feature film. I'm assuming the alliance is is uh is basically the connection between the scientists and the and and, uh, and the navy officer, I guess, right? Like or the navy, the Italian navy itself, the alliance that they yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, the alliance is the name of the ship, but I think it's a little tongue in cheek because obviously the navy officer and the scientist have. In the end, they form a very tentative alliance. Um, I don't know that the chief scientists would even say it's an alliance, but yeah, that's uh, both a nod to that relationship and to the name of the vessel. So the first question we, uh, the first question I have to know is uh, how did you keep yourself warm in the Arctic winter? <laughs> that's not my first time on a vessel in the Arctic, so I was fortunately really prepared. I think for me, the toughest thing is keeping my hands warm while I'm shooting on deck. And I totally rely on those uh, hand warmers that you shake. So I just pack like a suitcase full of those, honestly. Other than that, loads of wool socks, heavy down windproof coats, etc. <laughs> who was like on the crew? Like who was, was it you and who, who else was part of the documentary crew? I had um, one other person with me, my second camera op. His name is Jeff Grichy, and he lives in Portland, Maine. So it was his first time on the boat. So it was really interesting. He was battling some seasickness. Um, yeah, it was it was a rough it was a rough shoot for sure. <laughs> and you do a lot of the camera operating yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a cinematographer and happen to be directing this as well. This um, piece actually started out as a short doc for Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, which is the institution that my lead character is a part of. Um, and Woods Hole hired me to do a piece about what it takes to get science done in the winter. Um, but it clearly, uh, it quickly became clear that the real story was this incredible dynamic between the goals of the, uh, the chief scientist and the uh, alternate goals of the captain of the Navy. So um, I ended up kind of uh, directing this feature unintentionally in a way. It's my first feature directing it. So that's amazing. Okay. That's, a, that's an amazing story. So basically the, the short, the short that you, you're initially uh, set out to do, is that, was that completed? Was that, was that done? <laughs> No, fortunately, uh, the the original client, Woods Hole, kind of agreed to work with me as creative director and turn this into the feature that it now is. So it morphed from the original short that was, you know, it's one thing to have, oh, scientists battling tough conditions, but it's another thing to stumble upon this incredible interpersonal narrative. And my original job was to really... Um, convey the science to an audience in a pretty enticing way or an entertaining way. And I think a story between two people is often way more engaging than a story about like somebody battling. Uh, I mean, it depends. Like Grizzly, yeah. Grizzly Man was pretty great documentary about a person battling nature. But, you know, in this case, I feel like it's a story that's been told before. Two people contrasting kind of uh, ideologies, two contrasting kind of worlds. Uh, yes. Yeah, that kind of kind of like band together in this kind of in neutral environment, I guess. Right. And uh, that's sort of what the story is. Yes. Well, I mean, interestingly, I, I don't think it could be called a neutral environment because the real goal of the Italian Navy is 
they really wanted to lay a claim in the Arctic because it is becoming a more and more political uh, location due to the changing climate. It's more accessible. There's a lot more military ops going on there generally. So it was. it's a pretty um, contentious location, I would say. And of course, so, for studying climate change. What's the military's changes. goal? What's the, like, what's the country's goal to kind of grab this land? What, just because it's land that... And that's what, well, that's what the world likes. I don't want to speak for the Italian Navy, but it's not necessarily a land grab. It's more yeah. like, you know, there there are nations that have um, done a lot more um, military operational work in the Arctic. And I think there's kind of right now there there's a uh, it's not a land grab, but it's more like um, a fight to have a presence in the Arctic, because I think it's become that region is going to become a greater uh, political player or rather having a presence there is going to become uh, more and more political yeah because the the boundaries between nations are becoming more accessible in that region mm. uh, so I think it's more just like they wanted to say like look we're in the Arctic winter in the first time and we have the ability to maneuver in this region too which is interesting, of course, because they're a Mediterranean country. So, <laughs> but isn't there like resources like oil or like I'm? Like, yeah, uh, I don't know that this is as much about that. Um, yeah, it was more just about saying we have the ability to maneuver in this arena. Okay. Yeah, and so interestingly, I, I will say on that topic though, the um, there's only two icebreakers, um, military icebreakers in the U.S., and those have traditionally been used for science um, as well as some, you know, U.S. Coast Guard ops. But those are beginning to be used for more military reasons, and so um, scientists are now there's kind of a, a bigger scramble, I would say, to acquire an icebreaker. And the chief scientist wasn't able to, to get a full-on icebreaker um, for that reason, because there's a, a finite number of icebreakers. <laughs> and so that's why they ended up with the Italian ship, which isn't an icebreaker, but was yeah. you know, geared towards going to ice. Just to give people context, so uh, the Antarctica at the bottom of the world is land. There's land, right? And then, but on the top of the world where you were, there's like, there's no kind of like, quote unquote, land, I guess, right? Well, I mean, they both freeze over in, in the winter. Sure. No, but I mean, like, there's no like body of land, I guess. You're talking about icebreakers. You're talking about like, like hypothetically, say the world, the world gets warm. There's not a body. There's no, there won't be land if like, you know, worst case scenario, the world gets warm on, on top of the world, I guess, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there are many Arctic nations, you know, much of Canada is within the Arctic, um, sure. Greenland, Iceland. I'm just talking but on top uh, of the world. Oh, but on top. Yeah. I mean, if so, if we had no ice, you know, it's there are clear paths that um, ships would be able to go on top of the world uh, across those paths, you know, yeah. free pathways. And that's, you know, I don't I, I'm not going to say that that's like in the near future that but there definitely are roots opening up at this point that have not been open up opened before due to the ice melting yeah which which you know which in your country and even my country there's deniers of that i guess right so but. oh sure yeah right well i think we can we should all be able to agree at this point that you know, hopefully yeah anthropogenic climate change is real <laughs> okay so then okay so you, you're you're set you're going there to shoot a short film it came a feature so i'm assuming there's 
there's like that it's not that simple it's like oh i'm gonna make a feature so there did you have to pitch it to the who did you have to pitch it to in in terms of like staying up there longer obviously money and, and, fund, and funding like how was how did that all come together well, even though this was supposed to have been a short film, I was still going to be on the vessel for the same length of time because gotcha. once an expedition like this leaves, it's not like you can just go back to port and hop off the ship at any point. Uh, so I was going to be there for, I can't remember at this point, six weeks, nine weeks. It felt like a long time. <laughs> but um, when I realized it was going to be, or when I wanted to move it towards the direction of this conflict between the scientist and the head of the the navy on board the ship um i also suspected that it would require more time meaning it would be a longer piece in the end i didn't know specifically it would turn into a feature length because i was just kind of playing things out day by day mm. you know the narrative was shifting day by day we never knew what to expect so my the real person i needed to convince was my main subject the the chief scientist and it was a dicey situation because um, in some ways, he's also my client. You know, his institution was my client, but he's the one who wrote the grant proposal to have me oh, aboard. Gotcha. So, um, and and he also was at the heart of the conflict. So, I have to give a lot of credit to him for being willing to have this story told and really focused on him and his emotional landscape. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. He was he was really open minded. I have to say. That's so there's a lot of intimate kind of moments that you ca captured and I'm assuming the where you're shooting is is not the easiest shoot basically in terms of like getting good focus lighting in terms of you kind of oh, like God. lots of metal right uh, but it's like yeah. I'm sure it's, it's small quarters kind of grabbing this this amazing footage that you grabbed yeah well yeah and I would say as a cinematographer it was like night and day because on the exterior of the ship, it was just completely gorgeous, beautiful landscapes. Um, and then the interior was a total nightmare because it was can lighting, um, just a, an insane variety of lighting sources, some flickering lighting. And, you know, both people both of these men um, have similar physical features, meaning the commandant and and Bob. It was a real challenge to have their faces lit well, to not have like glaring light off off of their heads. Frankly, it was a real, yeah, it was a real challenge. And in the end, I kind of had to let some of my aesthetic sensibilities go. Unfortunately, um, though, I am happy to say that uh, I just won. Uh, best cinematographer at the Toronto International Women's Film Festival. So I felt that made me feel a little better about the cinematography. No well, you're <laughs> serving the story first of all, right? And so you're 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 grabbing exactly. this intimate footage of of him and the and the conflicts inside and the situations exactly. inside as well. Like that's yeah. serving the story. So I yeah, I understand. But it's still like what you did is is absolutely extraordinary. Like even the, your framing and. And I know you have probably hundreds of hours of footage. How many hours of footage did you have? Oh, my God. Well, let's just say it was um, two camera people on call 24 hours trying to track down this story, not knowing what would happen next. So we were just grabbing as much footage as possible. Two cameras over the span of, I, what did I say? I think like six six weeks, seven weeks, I should know this by now. Yeah. Um, so I came home with just 
an incredible amount of footage. That was the biggest challenge of the piece for sure. But when you were coming home after the seven weeks, did you know you had a story? Did you know you had a film? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because it was just, I knew, especially in the science community, nothing like this ever happens. It's really rare that something this extreme happens. And I knew that um, it would be of interest to the science community, even if it was not a, a huge interest to, <laughs> to other people. But, um, but yeah, I, I knew there was something there. So then this is almost like, this is basically a true documentary, meaning that you don't know the ending, you're just shooting oh, yeah. and you're yeah. just kind of finding, you kind of know the arc of the story. You kind of know the seed of the conflict, but you don't know what the ending is, right? So you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I mean, we I truly didn't know. There's a moment when um, the commandant decides like, oh, we're going to port and it's because the crew needs rest. But really, I think everyone, even a lot of the crew, assumed it was a power play. And at right. that point, we didn't know if he was going to make the decision to kick the, the scientists off the ship and leave them in Iceland and you know, go uh, pursue his own goals or go back to Italy. Um, yeah. So it was really day to day, minute by minute. It was a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> and, and so what about the other crew ship? Cause you got some, like, uh, I love the, 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 the smoke, <laughs> smoke break scene. There's so oh, many yeah. great intimate moments in the, in the film. Like <laughs> what were they, what was their feelings of like you and somebody else kind of constantly shooting them? You know, overall, they were really great to work with. And I think Bob, the chief scientist, says this in the documentary. Um, and I'll, I'll make it clear, like the the crew themselves were, most of them were a total delight and happy to work with the scientists. It was really um, the the upper tier of the Navy on the ship that was, that was so combative, who were so combative. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of them, really loved being filmed, but I like to shoot on small bodies. Uh, on this shoot, I was shooting on, um, I think it, Sony A7S threes at the time. And a lot of people mistake them for still cameras, even though I have an on-camera mic, you know? So okay. a lot of the crew, because of the language barrier, even up until the end, they would stand in front of the camera and wave like it was a still camera or like they would get and pose. And I think I, I have some of that in there. <laughs> and yeah. uh, one of the scientists, Leah, even makes a comment. She's like, oh my God, Italians love cameras. <laughs> and it's true. Uh, they were they were all at all pretty jovial. <laughs> how did you, uh, did you know, did you, did you speak Italian? Like, how did you know what they were saying? No, um, I don't speak Italian. A lot of them spoke broken English. Okay. And there was... Uh, one person on in the science party who is from Italy, who's Italian, and he helped as a translator. But and that was part of the major conflict is it wasn't like me, like that was least of all the fact that I didn't speak Italian. The chief scientist and all of the crew, with the exception of two people, didn't speak Italian. So there is this even from the beginning, if there hadn't been um, this butting of heads between the scientist and the captain, there is still this major issue of a huge language barrier. And the ship had just turned into a scientific, had just been taken over by the Italian Navy. So it was their first time for many of them assisting scientists. So there were a lot of hurdles, including the language barrier. 
Yeah, this there's 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 a lot of amazing assets to this film. It's like because it's also too we don't see this like the regular person. I'm watching your film for the first time. Like I've never seen any of this before. Like even like like this is just this is all uncharted territory of in terms of like this conflict, of course, but also the the like even showing the ice in the and basically in the Arctic area. Like it's it's truly amazing like how we're like so evolved as a species well generally speaking and we still there's still this 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 world that we don't even know about and you captured it oh well yeah i mean thank you you know it was really i think the most worthwhile thing for me regarding the feedback from the festival that i got was just hearing people say that like i knew that it was hopefully going to be an intimate look into this this world of what it takes to get science done and doing science on a ship. And this really crucial science that has a real impact on our future. But it made it, it was validating for sure to hear a lot of people say like, oh, wow, I could really see like how like the people on the ship, it was incredible. And to see the relationships, I think somebody said between um, the scientists and how they work together. So I'm glad that this has been an outcome because originally, you know, I was hired to make this piece that was, supposed to portray the science to a larger community. And this festival, among others, has really um, helped me fulfill that mission. And in like, there's obviously a metaphor of, of basically science versus politics, science versus ego. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yes. it's sort of a metaphor to what's happening in our, our world today, where there's like, yes. these people are just trying to do work and then there's conflict, yeah. right? Oh yeah, a hundred percent, yeah. I mean, it is politics. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but that's, that's the, that's the issue. It's like, there's so yeah, it's much. Indicative of the, of the issues at large yeah. <laughs> for many of our countries. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the snow. All of our countries. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And the snow caps are like the metaphor for red tape in a sense where like, there's yeah. this, this, this like craziness, like you, you're trying to get somewhere, trying to make a forward mo- motion. And then there's crap that you have to deal with, like political junk that you have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think that can be said for so many of um, our bureaucracies and institutions. I think people say the same about the medical industry, et cetera. (laughs) Exactly, that's what I'm saying. That's what your film's about. It's it's like it serves as like like this faraway land that nobody knows about, and it's still the same nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the editing of your film. Did you edit it? Did you like how was the? I did. I did edit it and I had an incredible advisor, Andrew Fredericks. Um, he's an he's an amazing editor. So this, as I said, it's my first feature um, and I'm used to editing my own shorts. This was a completely different animal. I think the toughest thing for me was that to me, there were so many interesting people on board and I really initially focused on character development. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, you know, the original length of the film, I want to say was like three hours. So <laughs> Andy Fredericks was hugely helpful in, uh, in helping me pare that down and really like talking me through what the narrative highlights really were. And um, and Samantha Brown, too, who's an incredible radio producer. So I had these advising editors, but I really had to whack my way through this footage. <laughs> so 
So okay, so it's you said the it's like when did you come to terms that when did you come to the the hour long? Because right now I'm, I'm maybe there's different versions, but the one oh, yeah. that we saw is, is six exactly sixty minutes. When did you come to that yeah. conclusion? Um, I mean, not until the the spring of this year, you know, and I had been working on this project off and on since 2018. I think probably like a lot of people, like because of the nature of the work, as I mentioned, I'm primarily a cinematographer and a photographer. So I have a lot of ongoing projects where I'm shooting for other people or making short films for clients. So this would get shoved to the back burner. It wasn't until gotcha. the pandemic that I really had a chance to dig in. And it was both like, you know, my nightmare and... <laughs> part of what got me through though I think my husband would probably argue more of a nightmare it was a lot of hair pulling there's a lot of wanting to give up <laughs> did you did you like write a script like with all the footage like how did you kind of like how did you kind of come up with the story story arcs and the story beats did you kind of yeah. like how did you how was how did you paper at it um, well, I am a, a big proponent of the paper edit. Uh, Google Docs played a huge role. I transcribed everything, not just the interviews. I made huge um, B-roll string outs by theme. And um, I transcribed all of those as well, both of the dialogue and also the uh, all of the visuals. And I put that all in paper form. I didn't, I work in Premiere. I didn't do that in Premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, I may change, I may switch that up. I'm working on another film now. I may switch that up in the future, but um, I rely a lot on word search in Google Docs. And yeah, I basically just made versions and versions and versions of loose scripts. Yeah. And scripts by scene, scene by scene scripts. So an overall like thematic script, if you will. And then um, scene by scene, these more detailed scripts. So but my mantra in the end just had to become like, how does this serve the conflict? How does this serve the conflict? Hundred percent. I don't know if this is conscious of your part, but this there's generally like I see a lot of documentary films, and there's generally like a certain structure that's happening. I guess in the last like 10, 15 years, where like there's a conflict, and then there's always this, these like kind of staged interviews, and then they kind of lead to the next kind of plot point. Where your film, which I love, is that it's just constant motion. It's constant, mm-hmm. like, here we are on this boat. And then basically, and it's just like, we're just going to keep filming, keep filming. And then we're all the, all the, everything, all the information that we learn is through the action that's taking place. You know what I mean? Like the, what they're Yeah. That was my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Extraordinary. Like, it's like, I know that's not easy because it's, there's an easy oh, kind of you. like way to like, oh, let's just do this interview and then we can further the plot. But you didn't do that. You just kind of like, it was con- like the like the water. It was constant motion. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm a really big fan of cinema verite. I really love like the Maisel's brothers and um, that that film American movie. I love that documentary. I love films that don't rely as much on interview. And obviously, this this is not that. But I really wanted to drive it as much in that direction as possible. It's funny that you mentioned American movie because uh, I haven't seen it since it. I watched that. I moved to Toronto like 23 years ago, and I went to uh, this like this like art house th- theater and I watched that film with my friend. And lo and behold, I started doing festivals there. I had no idea, 
but basically that's like the movie that that's my first introduction to Toronto is watching that film and I haven't seen it since and I thought it was like it's like people don't know it's a make it's about this these Wisconsin people these this Wisconsin guy who tries to make a movie he tries to make his own movie right so and it's just like and he's he's a genius and a simpleton at the same time that's how I'll describe him so yeah, but I mean, not to go too far down this road, but one of the other things I love about that is, yeah, he's a genius and a simpleton, but there's also really moving, emotional, hard plot within the context yeah. of kind of this hilarity. And I, yeah, I just, I love films like that. Yeah. They're super dynamic in that way. <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's, it's a comedy, but it's also very, it's like his kind of family kind of shuns him in a way. Yeah, for who he is, and it's there's a there's a there's an underlying sadness about the family dynamic, and yeah, that's why they call it. Anyways, it's like I want to see. Basically, you you made me propelled me to want to see it again. So because oh good, because <laughs> I haven't seen it since. And there's there's that nostalgic memory that I have with the film. Like we all have that with certain films where there's yeah. a, co- a historical context to my life with that film too. So it's funny when I saw that you put that as your the movie you've seen the most times in your life on the blog <laughs> interview. It's like oh my god. So it's like, I, I got to see this movie again. So yeah, I need to see it again too. <laughs> and then, and then before I leave you, you're working on, um, uh, Elvis impersonator doc- documentary. Of course it's, it's more than that, but that's what you're working on right now. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, you know, I think I, I, I mentioned this in our written correspondence, but it is more than that. It's really about the re- the relationship between this Elvis impersonator and his wife, who at the time had stage four lung cancer. And they're um, both extremely devout cr- Christians, evangelical Christians. And so it's at its heart about um, power and power dynamics and uh, our belief in power. I'll say that. <laughs> that's your that's your theme, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. That's, that's there's a good, there's a lot of avenues that can go go into, I guess, right? But yeah, I, I thought you were going to say faith, but I guess that. Uh... Um, I mean, I think that plays into it. I think yeah. uh, faith and power are uh, closely related. That's interesting, yeah. Another kind and of this... American movie dynamic, right? You got the legendary Elvis, yeah. that everybody in the world knows about. You got Chris. You got cancer. Well, obviously, cancer, which is everybody's kind of one direct, like uh, one degree is dealt with our, our lives personally. And, yeah. and, you know, and basically, and basically religion, organized religion, which is obviously huge in the United States as well. Right. So. Yeah. And how that's reflected in um, uh, two people, one person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, well, I can't wait to see it. And, and so you're, you're in post-production right now for that, or are you still shooting or. I, I have the I have the majority of principal photography okay. in the bag, but I I I don't think I'm done shooting yet. It's one of those edits where you know you edit and you realize like okay I need to go back and um, and do some follow up interviews. So okay. it's still I would say it's still in production. Well, this particular film I thought it was fantastic, and if this is your first documentary feature, I can't wait to see what you do next. Like I said, Thank I love you. the structure of it just from a nerd kind of documentary standpoint. It was fantastic. It's really well shot. And yeah, you like I don't I know you you can't make it like you can't stage the kind of the lighting, but I thought what you did is 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 extraordinary. So congratulations oh, on the much. success of the film. I hope it's doing well. Hope you get a get I, I don't know what the next step is getting a getting it sold somewhere, but I hope it gets everything that you want because I think people should be watching this film. Well, I really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
Thank you. And let's talk again when uh, when that film is made. I'd love to see it. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Shlemiel.